0: Welcome to the Community Church Podcast. This is the 10th and final week of our series called Family Misconceptions. This week, Pastor Mike is teaching from Ephesians 6, verses 5 through 9. If you'd like to take notes, there's a link for that in the show notes. Thanks for joining us. And without further ado, here's Pastor Mike. Larry came to Christ when he was in his 30s, and it was something that totally transformed his life And as he began to grow in his Christian life, he also had that sense that it made such a difference that he wanted to to live his life in such a way that it made a difference. He wanted to, to live a life that had eternal significance. And he thought, you know, if I really want to serve God in a way that's significant, then isn't service being a pastor or being a missionary? And so his wife, he and his wife talked about it. Maybe they should sell the business and, and, uh, and use his life savings to go to Bible college. And then after Bible college, he could become a pastor or a missionary, use his abilities to serve God in that way. And, and they thought about that, but they weren't sure. Because is that the best way to serve God? Is that the only way to serve God? Or is it possible that he could serve God even more effectively where he was at. Well, God was blessing him in his profession, and he had a lot of relationships there, and he had all kinds of people he interacted with that were unbelievers, and, and he asked advice of those whom he knew, and he struggled with this decision. What should I do with the rest of my life? I, he was willing to go wherever God called him, but was the most effective service that God was calling to him to, to leave his work, to sell his business, to go be a pastor, be a missionary, or was it possible that God had called him to be even more effective ministering where he was at. So what does the Bible teach about work? It's an important question because we all spend a ton of time at work. In fact, it's been estimated that, that most of us, on average, will spend over a third of our waking hours at work. Total number of hours that we'll spend at work, 97,760 hours. You say, well, that sounds like Well, it's simple. If you start at 18, and many of us, most of us started earlier, but if we start at 18 and then we work to 65 and we work 40 hours a week, that equals out 97,760 hours. You think, oh man, that's a lot. And some of you are thinking, Pastor Mike, I'm just 18. i just started. You know, I was at work this past week, and Friday it was ticking down to 4.45, and I'm just counting the minutes to, to finish that last hour, and now you're telling me I've got 97,000 more of those to go? That's discouraging. Or some of you might even be thinking, you know, why do you have to talk about work today? It's the Sabbath. It's the day that we're supposed to get a break from this. I don't want to think about work. You know, why is it that we have to talk about work? See, a lot of us think that because I think many in our culture see work as kind of a necessary evil. It's something that we have to do to get the money that we need to be able to live. But, but if we didn't have to do it, in fact, you know, people are often asked, you know, if you won a lottery or if you were given an amount of money that, that money was no longer an object, what would you do? And the most common initial response, people say, well, I'd quit work tomorrow. Basically, if I didn't need to work to get income, then what is the purpose of work? You know, of course I would quit. Was that the right view of work? Is that what God, the Bible teaches us about work? Now, some of you might even have noticed, you know, we've been talking in the series in the beginning. We said, even it's a series about family misconceptions. And we've been looking at here in Ephesians the last couple of months, the Bible's teaching primarily about family issues, about marriage, about relationships, about parenting, and about, you know, how do we relate to our, our own parents? And you say, this doesn't seem to fit. You know, how does we're talking about work? That's not a family issue. Well, what we need to see is that Paul, through this section, is really dealing with relationships. And his point is that the gospel should transform all of our relationships. And we need to realize that this is the case because the Bible is incredibly practical. It's not just a series of you know, theories and beliefs that we you know, just think about on Sunday and that we kind of put off into our spiritual side of life but it's a series of truths that when we embrace, transform everything, specifically all our relationships. And the idea is that when we think about that, it includes our spouse and our parents and, and our kids, and, and, and as it develops here, it also deals with our, our relationships on Monday through Friday, our workplace, because true Christianity impacts every area of life. It's again, it's not just a Sunday religion that we do there, it's not just some, this idea that's the religious aspect, it's something that impacts everything. And specifically, what he's playing out here is it impacts every relationship. So, in fact, if we were to look at this, you know, this section that we've been looking at in, in a, on family, this, this whole family matters issue, is, that, uh, is really starting in Ephesians 5, 20, 21. Well, if the verse is right before that, let me take you there, because it sets the context. In Ephesians 5:17 it says this. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of God is, or what the will of the Lord is. Now, when you look at this, don't be foolish, don't, you know, don't just think that, that God's word is not applicable, but when it says, understand the will of the Lord, he's not saying, here's when you have this big lifetime decision, you know, here's how you figure out what God's will is about changing jobs or who to marry or something like that. No, the will of the Lord basically is something that's a day-to-day issue. It's talking about what it looks like to live out our faith in everyday life. And so then he continues, the next verse. Therefore, uh, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So what's the way of word? It's not to get drunk with wine, not to be controlled by substances, but instead to be controlled by, to be filled by the Holy Spirit. And then immediately after this, he starts talking about these principles about Relationships. If we're filled with the Holy Spirit, what does that look like with our marriage? What does it look like in our parenting? What does it look like in our workplace? And really what the Bible is teaching us here is that being filled with the Holy Spirit means that we let God's presence seep into us so it changes every aspect of who we are, especially, again, our relationships. So it's very practical, but then what specifically does the Bible teach us about work? So let's focus here now. And what we're going to do is I want to start off by looking at some of these basic teachings that should redefine how we view work. Now, even before we get into that, some people might have looked at this and say, wait a second, you read this passage a moment ago, and it talked about in Ephesians 6, 5, you know, bond servants obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. And some translations even have slaves obey your masters, and you're saying, wait a second, that... I'm not a slave. This, isn't, this doesn't apply to me. Is, is even the Bible approving slavery? What, what is it saying here? Now, I don't want to get into a historical study about slavery and bond servants and masters and the economy of first century Rome or to try to explain all the dynamics of you know, what was going on then. But I'm going to really simplify it and, and kind of make it practical to us. If we were to understand what was happening then and apply it towards what we have that now, what they had in the relationship of a bondservant and a master is the closest thing that we have between an employee and a player. Okay, they didn't, if you worked for someone, they didn't have employers. It was that the only working relationship was bondservant and master. Now, some things are different. I acknowledge that. But if we look at this and say it's teaching us how to approach work, and if we look at these principles and apply it to ourselves, I think it almost would be appropriate to translate it you know, employees, obey your earthly boss with respect and fear as you would with a sincere heart as you would with Christ. So he's talking about how we approach work. Now, what are some of these principles then the Bible teaches? Not only here, but kind of this broader biblical teaching. And the first is that God has created us for work. Now, many people think, many Christians think that work is a bad thing. We work because of the sin and the curse. In fact, I remember kind of thinking that when I was younger. It's like God created us in the Garden of Eden, and beforehand, before the sin, you know, we're just hanging out, we're just enjoying life, we're doing whatever, we're just, you know, life is wonderful, and then then the sin happens. Then Adam and Eve sin, and after sin, you know, God says, well, I'm going to teach you from now on, you got to work. You know, that's the consequence, work. Now, that's not only wrong, it's actually the opposite of what's true. You see, if you look at the Bible, God didn't give mankind work in Genesis 3 after the fall. He gave work man, to mankind in Genesis 2 before the fall. And before the fall, when everything was perfect, when God, the world was just the way that God designed it to be, in that perfect world, God gave the responsibility of work to mankind. Look at Genesis 2, before the fall. Look what we read, verse 15. The Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. This is before. Now, if you understand this, what you understand is it's teaching that work was part of God's original and perfect plan. It's not the result of sin. In the perfect world before sin, Adam and Eve were put into the world to work. What does that mean? That you were built to work. You were built to take something and to take care of it, to cultivate it. You were called to create. Why? Because we're made in the image of God. If you look in Genesis 1, what does, what's God doing in Genesis 1? He's working, he's creating, and he's defining it in terms of work. And now he said, now you're created in the image of God, and part of our soul is that God wants us to take something and he wants us to, in a sense, cultivate, to create. In a sense, it's really teaching is God created the world and said it's perfect, but you know what, now I'm gonna put you to continue to improve on it. That's what it's teaching. Now you say, wait a second, I know there's Genesis 3 and there's a curse, and it revolves work, so how do, what's Genesis 3? Well, let's look at it. We're gonna see in Genesis 3, it teaches that while work is good, that's what Genesis 2 teaches, the environment of work has been cursed. That's what Genesis 3 teaches. Work itself is still intrinsically good. See, Genesis 3 doesn't erase what's taught in Genesis 2. Now, let's look at Genesis 3, and you're going to find that it's not a curse upon work itself, but the environment of work. Genesis 3:17. 17. Daname said, Because you have listened to the voice of, uh, of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you, and pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Now, what's cursed? Not work. The ground. The ground in which we work, the environment in which we work, it's cursed. And because the ground is cursed, therefore, work is going to include pain. And then we continue in the next verse. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat up the plants of the field, and by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, and you, until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you will return. Now, here's what it's saying. Because the earth is cursed, therefore work is going to include thorns and thistles. It's going to include difficulty. It's going to include you know, co-workers and customers that are difficult to deal with. Now, part of what that means is that no matter how hard we try to cultivate the earth, it's never going to go right thorns and thistles will always come up. So no matter how good you are, no matter how faithful you are to God, no matter how good your boss, no matter how good your work environment, the thing is is that you're always gonna find thorns and thistles. There will always be frustrations that are part of work. And if it weren't for the curse, there wouldn't be any painful toil. But we live in a world where yes, work is still good, but it's also the environment is cursed. Now this is, we've gotta hold these things in balance. Because if on the one hand, if we just look at the curse and we say, well, work itself isn't good, so we miss something of the blessing that God has created for us. But if all we see is the goodness and we miss the impact of the curse, see, what we're gonna do is that we're gonna, we're gonna expect it to be something it will never be. this is important because the principle is that we need to accept that work is cursed. And because it's worked, it's therefore hard. And if we do that, it's gonna actually make it easier. Said, so what do you mean? Well, here's the idea. Is when we don't expect the curse, when we don't remember it, what we're doing is we're always trying to find the perfect work situation. We're looking for Eden and we're expecting to find it. And we're always then surprised and frustrated by the thorns and by the difficulty and the sweat that there. We're always something hoping for something better. And for some people, it means that we're always complaining and always unhappy. And for other people, it's, you know, I know people that are always, you know, leaving this job to go find this job because we're looking for the perfect, we're looking for the Garden of Eden, where there aren't difficulties, where where you just sense everything that is good. And when you're surprised by the thorns, you will never be able to fully enjoy the blessings of your job. The fact is that work is hard. Work is difficult. There are thorns. Don't be surprised by that. And you're never going to find a job that isn't impacted by the curse. So stop looking for it. Once you accept that work is difficult and you accept the fact that there's pain and difficulty in that, it's going to get a lot easier because you're not working, expecting something different. You're not working against it, trying to to find Eden. Well, one more truth that we want to kind of get to, you know, kind of as um, overarching truths taught in the Bible, and that is that the Bible teaches that we need to understand a right perspective of work that teaches that all legitimate work is sacred before God. Again, now I talk to people all the time that will say something like, well, if, if I were a pastor, well, then my work would have meaning. Or if, if I was maybe a doctor and I help people or I was a counselor, and, but I make things. You know, I fix things. I, I type letters. I, I sell things. And what's the eternal significance in that? And, and we find it hard to be excited. We see, find it hard to find value and to find purpose. And, and because we, find, we don't see any greater purpose and value to our work, it's hard to be motivated. It's hard to give better than just the minimum amount. But that's the wrong view. See, the Bible actually is teaching here that, the, that there is eternal significance in your work, even if you don't see it naturally. You don't need to be a pastor or a missionary to find significance. In fact, what you do is every bit as significant and holy before God as what I do. If we're both equally you know, faithful in our jobs in the workplace, I don't get any more reward than you do. We're each serving God in the same way. That's what Paul is saying here. Let's go back and see. if you have your Bibles, look at verses six and seven. What does he say? We should understand our work not in terms of, our, of working for an earthly employer, but as if we're bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Then he goes on in verse seven. Since that's true, we should be driven, knowing that we are rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, not as to men. That's all of us. And because we know that God is then our ultimate boss, verse eight teaches that we should know that whatever good anyone does, meaning whatever effort we put in our, in our workplace, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he's a bond servant or is free. So what that means is, when you go to work tomorrow, you can know that God is watching you, and God takes pleasure in you doing a good job. That God has given you this calling, and that's a sacred call before him. I know some of you might still be struggling with that. You know, said, but I don't really feel that. I don't really see that. It just doesn't seem like what I'm doing has any spiritual significance. All right, so let me illustrate this for you. Take a biblical character that, once you see it, you're gonna see how true this is. Let's think about Jesus. Most of us know that he started his earthly teaching ministry at 30 years old. He taught for three years before he was crucified. What did he do for the 30 years before that? Well, as a child, and, but how about after that? He was a carpenter. And we know from the culture, he probably started to apprentice as a carpenter somewhere, you know, eight, nine, ten years old that he was working probably full-time with his dad, probably by the time he was 15, and he may have had his own shop somewhere between 15 and 18. Now, if you understand that, that means that he was a carpenter, you know, anywhere you could say in 15 years, probably closer to 18, 20 years. So he was a carpenter five, six, seven times longer than he did his, his earthly teaching ministry. So here you have God and human flesh come down on earth for just a matter of 33 years, and he spent the majority of it doing, working with his hands, doing carpentry. Now, do you think the Father was pleased with him during this time? Hey, you know what I love is when he goes for his baptism, and God speaks from heaven and says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. That was before he started his earthly ministry. He, God didn't say, this is my son with whom I'm about to be well pleased, now that he's going to do something of significance. No, he's looking at it and saying, everything that he's done till now, I'm pleased with him. What he's been doing has been sacred. It's been something that's been wonderful, that Jesus himself gave that dignity to working with his hands. That being said, what kind of carpenter do you think he was? You know, do you think he was a good carpenter? Do you think that he was, you know, cut corners and, and that he, had, you know, built Tables with defective legs, or that he promised us one kind of wood and delivered another wood to save some money, And no. I think that he was an excellent carpenter, that he built things with an excellent you know, uh, quality. Now when you want, look at this and you say, if many of us, I want to be like Jesus and we look at Jesus in his teaching ministry, what we have recorded in the Gospels, and I couldn't ever feel like that. I couldn't heal. I couldn't. Well, realize that most of his life, he's doing carpentry. Do you think he could do it like that? Do you think he could be like Jesus like that? And understand there's sacredness in what you're doing. In fact, if we understand that, we're going to realize that the Bible teaches there is no division between the sacred and the secular. Every legitimate before God is sacred. It's not like you've got to be a pastor and he said, You say every legitimate job. Well, okay, there are a couple exceptions. Why? Because what these jobs are, they're ways that God calls us to till the garden to make the world a better place. Now, there are a few jobs that don't make the world a better place. Okay, I don't think there's such thing as a Christian drug pusher that's, that honors God by selling illegal street drugs. Okay, that, now if you're here today and that's, that's what you do for a living, we're glad you're here. But I'd like to talk with you afterwards about thinking through a job change. Okay, you got to think about how to serve God in a better way. I remember even uh, there was somebody in my church in Florida, in Fort Lauderdale when I was there. He came to know Christ, and as he grew, he started to be convicted that he was doing a job that wasn't making the world a better place. He ran a casino, and he started to realize, you know, boy, that's taking money from people. It's deceiving people. That's making things worse, not better. And so God convicted him and his wife, and they prayed about it, decided to leave that job. He took a significant page cut, but did started to do a job where he felt like there was purpose, that he was actually contributing something, and was much happier, even though he was making a lot less money. Now, apart from those exceptions, every job is sacred. Now, think about even what we know in the Bible and the jobs that we have called out. Adam and Eve, they're made by God and said, this is how you serve me. They were farmers, they were gardeners. Jesus, he's making tables. And what we've got to realize is that every job that we have is a unique opportunity to serve God. It's a unique ministry. It's a place that we represent him. It's in a sense that you interact with people in that workplace that I don't get a chance to interact with. And you're bringing, in a sense, part of God's beauty and glory to that part of the world. And so when you, you know, even if you say, well, okay, well, I just, you know, I'm, I work at a laundromat. I just hand out clothes. What's glory in that? You know, it's well, think about that. You could even say, not only I'm greeting people, I'm, I'm bringing beauty in their life, I'm encouraging them. You could even turn that into a prayer ministry. Somebody comes in, I'm going to pray for all my customers. That doesn't mean that you grab them and say, I'm going to lay hands on you and pray for you, pray for Jesus. No, that's not, you don't need to do that. But you could just come and say, hey, I'm just going to pray for them. God, I pray for your blessing on them. Whatever they're dealing with, I pray for that. And God could use you even in that way. Now, okay, these are kind of three, the three truths, these three biblical principles or, you know, concepts that redefine work, but now I want to go beyond that, and I want to say, okay, how do we take these three truths and translate them into principles? Principles that are not just what we think, but that we then live out, and if we understand these, they should transform not only how we think about work, but how we actually do work, how we approach our work. And the first is is building off of what we just said. The idea is that if all work is sacred before God, then if you apply that work, that truth in your own life, that means that That's not only true in theory, it means that your work is a sacred service before God. Your work, what you're called to do. It's not that you have to be a pastor or you have to be a missionary, you have to, you know, that those things, those are more sacred. No, No matter what you do here, again, that is your sacred service, and what you do is every bit as sacred before God as what I do. Jesus, again, 15, 20 years as a carpenter. To use the language of the, you know, of the book of Genesis, God put mankind there to take care of the garden. What is the garden? Garden is his creation. And each one of us have a little spot within the garden of his creation, and we're called to make it better. To, in a sense, to serve people, and we serve God by serving people. And I thought about this, and I thought you know, how this is true even in my own family. I think about my wife and my kids and what they do, and and every one of them, I'm proud of what they do. And they have jobs that are every bit as holy and sacred before God than what I do. I mean, my, my youngest, uh, you know, David, I'm, he works at Summa Hospital and janitor- the janitorial service. That's a service before God. I'm proud of what he does. And he's out there and he's making the hospital cleaner. That's actually serving people. It's keeping, you know, keeping the hospital a safer place for patients that come in. That's a service before God that, that you know, that he's, that's his part of the garden. My, my second son, he's preparing to be a nurse, and I'm proud of what he does with that, and he's preparing to say, okay, now what do I do? You know, my dad cares for the spiritual needs of people. I'm going to care for the physical needs of people. That's his service before God. I'm proud of that. My younger daughter is teaching in an outdoor school, and here she is, she helping shaping the hearts and minds of young people doing so in the context of teaching through creation itself, and I'm proud of what she does. She's, that's her part of the garden. My older daughter is is involved as an administrative assistant, encouraging people, helping other people, being more effective, serving them as Christ would. Now she's about to add the demanding job of being a mom, and and that's an incredible job as well. My wife, Sandy, does real estate photography, and, and I thought about even how she got into this. I and mean, it started when we were moving here and we were looking for houses and she was looking online and, and she says, well, you know, a lot of houses back then, you know, they had pictures, but they weren't very good. And she says, man, I wish they had good pictures because we look online and, and what I see in the house isn't at all like the house that I actually see. And so then after we'd gotten her house, she, she thought, thought about it. She says, well, why don't I do that? Why don't I go learn about real estate photography, get the right equipment, and so I can serve people, I can serve the realtors, I can serve the people shopping for the house by giving them the kind of pictures I wished that I had when I was looking. And that's just a simple way of saying, this is how I'm trying to make the garden better, and I'm proud of her for that. All of us are called to serve God in a way that is sacred before Him. Now, the first principle, or second, grows from the first. If work is really a service to God, that means that there's a sense that God is your ultimate boss, and that since that, we should actually work to impress him. Look at it again in Ephesians 6, starting in verse 5. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. We should do it with a, a sincerity, because we're motivated to serve Christ. Continues, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, not to men. I love the New Living Translation, read seven. Work with enthusiasm as you would if you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Now, this is really important. You can sense, say in a sense, how we define who we think we're working for will define how we understand our work. You see, if we go to work and we say, I'm well, working for this person, whatever you think of your boss, why am I working to help his bottom line? He's got enough, or, well, he doesn't appreciate me enough, or I'm not, I'm not really excited about what I'm doing. What happens if you go and you say, I'm working to let, for God? He's my ultimate boss. I'm representing him. See, ultimately, that brings an enthusiasm, it brings motivation that we wouldn't have otherwise have. We all know what it means to work for people. You know, we often you know, get do as little as we can, and, you know, we, if they're watching when the boss is around, you know, that's when we get the extra effort, and, you know, we try to take credit for ideas, or we jockey for position, and we look to our employers, a sense of our security and income, and he says, no, that's what the world does, and while we have an earthly boss that we have to relate to, ultimately, it says that our ultimate boss, our ultimate authority is Christ, and so we should serve with the kind of enthusiasm as if Christ were there in our workplace, because in a sense he is. When it says serve with all our heart, literally it's you know, put your heart into it. Put your heart into it as if you're working for Christ. Now, when we do that, when we put our heart into it, we suddenly work differently. So even in that, we have to ask, okay, what if Christ were doing my job? What, how, how would he do it? And and I might look at that and I might think, well, I can't imagine him doing it. Well, if he was a carpenter, he would do that. Or if he were here, my boss, if he were here with me, how, how would I respond? And that should be our motivation. He continues then in the next verse saying, well, if he's our boss, if we're motivated by them, look in verse eight, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this will he receive back from the Lord, whether he is bond servant or free. And basically he's saying, okay, it's not only that he's our boss, but ultimately he may not sign the paycheck, but our ultimate reward, our ultimate recognition comes from him. And we need to remember that. You know, don't be deceived and think, oh, it's just between my boss. It's just what he sees. No, there is a time that your boss might not give you what you think you deserve. You might be frustrated with him. But remember that God is your ultimate authority. And so therefore, we're called to serve. What does it say with the understanding that you will receive a reward? God will give you the reward. Let's even think it in this way. So if someone would come to me and to say, you know, I I want a good marriage. I want God to bless my marriage. What I would tell you is, well, let's go to the Bible, look what God's word says about marriage, and try to align your life with his teaching on the marriage. The more you do so, the more that God will bless you. That's what we've been looking at a lot in this series. Or if someone were to come and say, well, I want God to bless my finances, what I would do is to say, let's go in the Bible, see what the Bible says about finances, and the more that you align your finances, handle them in a way that's consistent with God's teaching, the more that you're putting yourself in a place where God will bless your finances. Now, if we come and you say, I want God to bless my work, that's where I'd come back and say, okay, what does God's word say here? And, if you, and what it says is you need to go to work tomorrow morning and work with all your heart as if you're serving the Lord. And the more that you do that, the more that you work to, to his uh, approval, the more that you put yourself in a place that he will bless your work. Now, I will tell you, it doesn't always work immediately. There are times that I have done that, and, you know, and I've gotten fired for, you know, for, you know, for, for standing out my principles and doing what's right. And, but you know what? In time, God has blessed that. It's not always immediate. It's not always, you know, it's, you know it's, I can see it. But I tell you, truth and time go hand in hand, and the more you align yourself with these truths, the more God will reward you, the more he will bless your work. Not only that, but we remember we're not only working you know, for work, we're working as a, as a witness. And our work is connected to our witness. So one of the ways that we witness is that you recognize that you in your workplace have the opportunity to interact with all kinds of people that I don't get to interact with. That is a mission field. You say, you know, I want, I want to be a missionary. You are a missionary. It's not a question of whether God's called you to do. He's called, you are a missionary and you have this incredible mission field that, again, I don't, I, I couldn't interact with those people. And the quality of your work is at the core of your testimony. See, if you're a really poor worker, if you're the kind of person that isn't ever doing your job and other people have to pick up for you, and then you say, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. In fact, if you're a really poor worker, don't witness on the work site because it's a bad witness. You're hurting the name of Jesus. Jesus. Because they're looking at it and they're saying, your life isn't any different. And what we saw in the beginning, Christianity should be a whole life religion. It should change every aspect of our being. And if we're really a bad worker, if we're complaining all the time, if we're griping, if we're making other people, you know, if we have a lack of integrity and people know that, it hurts us. On the other hand, if we're a good worker, if we're working as in a Christ and there's an enthusiasm, there's a positive spirit where the encourager, people see that there's something attractive, there's something that draws you, and it gives you the opportunity to then share your faith with that mission field. And one of the simple places is to say, just have a positive attitude. I mean, how many of you are workplaces defined by griping and complaining and, you know, people are about the work and about this and about that and... Let me give you one passage even on that, just the whole complaining. Philippians chapter two, look what it says. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation amongst whom you shine as lights in the world. And then it continues as you hold fast the word of life. How do we shine as lights? How do we shine out as different? Well, just don't complain. Just don't gripe. Go to work and instead of complain about everything, have a good spirit you know, wouldn't be, you know, it'd be great. It'd be great if I had employers call me all the time and they're like, hey, you know, um, we have a job opening at our at a company and you have any Christians, you know, because the Christians that we have, they're the best workers, man. They're, they're hard workers. They're diligent. They got a good spirit. They're trustworthy. We just want to hire more Christians. So we're the first place we're going to call is we're going to call the church. Wouldn't that be great? my friends? That's the way it should be. That's what it should be. And if it's not, there's a problem, and the fact is, that's what we should strive for. Now, part of that, just very briefly, is even as we strive for that, is remembering there's a foundation that underlies work's purpose. And see, part of this is, it's built on the whole idea of a relationship with Jesus. If you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, this isn't a how-to to how to work better. See, because the underlining idea here is that it starts with having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Having Him at the center of your life. See, if we don't, what happens is that we often then make something else. Oftentimes, it's money. So money is at the center of my life, and work is a necessary evil to get the thing that I think I ultimately need. Or you have other people where work becomes the end of itself, and so you look for significance and identity and, 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 and work itself, and, and then you become a workaholic, and that, that becomes dysfunctional. God says, no, I want a relationship with you where I'm at the center And when I'm at the center, then I lift up work as being as significant as I've made it to be, but it will never become the most significant. You have it in the right perspective. And so if you're here and you don't have that relationship with Christ, let me challenge you, that's where it starts. Get yourself right in a relationship with God. And the more that you do that, the more you will understand how to have the right perspective of work. That's the challenge that Larry had struggled with. He desired to serve God. God was doing an amazing thing in his life. He even thought about, you know, selling his business and being a pastor, being a missionary. But he got advice from spiritual leaders and it called him to kind of question the value of what he was currently doing. Somebody even challenged him to say, okay, write down all the people you interact with over the course of the week and, and come together. And at, at the end of the week, now cross out all the names of the people that you wouldn't have a chance to interact with if you were a pastor. And suddenly I realized that's 90% of those names. The idea is you're already on a mission field. That's a mission field that most people can't reach. A pastor couldn't reach. Now, the question is, is God, it's not whether God's called you to be a missionary. It's whether God's called you off of that mission field onto another one. And that's where he suddenly realized, no, God had called him there. And, and while he was willing to sell everything and be a pastor, God had called him to be even more effective being faithful where he was. And that's what he did. And for nearly 50 years, I've been able to see my dad, Larry Ribka, live out his faith as a missionary in his workplace where he's taken that, you know, that passion and that commitment, his energy, and he's used it for Christ and, and investing his time and his wealth and his resources, as he used to study the insurance field and still does to be able to know what's best. He studies the Bible, and I've seen him study the Bible on a daily basis even to this time And in the same creativity and effort that he used to build his business, he said, okay, let me do that. And saying, how do we start Bible studies? And inviting, you know, people that he worked with, non-believers to Bible studies in his home. And they grew into the point where they literally, you know, had to start another one. And this one went off to this room. And it, you know, 50 plus people every week in their home for Bible studies, many of which came to Christ through his faithfulness. And he worked in such a way that he had character and integrity and, and excellence so that people saw that there was an excellence in what he did that earned respect in his field and an integrity and honesty that earned respect and that opened up the door to, to build relationships and to share his faith literally with hundreds of people so that over the 50 years, he's led literally hundreds of people to Christ. What a powerful ministry. What a powerful, I'm proud of my dad. You know, a lot of people ask me, you know, are you the first person to go into ministry in your family? I'm the first pastor, I'm not the first person to go into ministry. Boy, my dad was a great example. My mom's been a great, great example of that. And they are in ministry every bit as I am. And he's been every bit and more faithful than I've been. And we look at that and you say, what does it mean for each one of us? It's not whether God has called you to be a, a minister. He's called you to be a minister. He's called you to be a missionary. It's only the matter of Where? And for the vast majority, God says, "Okay, this is the mission field I've placed you in. I've uniquely equipped you. I've uniquely called you. Now be faithful there. Serve me there. Work as unto the Lord. Working with an integrity and a, and a consistency that you know that opens up the door, that makes that little part of the garden even more beautiful, and God will use it." And just a couple questions, just in closing. The First one is I'm going to put up here. It's just simply this. When you think about your job, if Jesus were to do your job, what would he do it like? Now, a lot of us, we think, again, the chosen, we think of this guy walking around in a robe and teaching, and we can't imagine that. Remember, he was a carpenter. He worked with his hands. And if we remember that, maybe you can start to envision him doing the job that you do. And he gives dignity to that. So if he were to do your job, what would he do it like? And what would it be like to be more like Jesus in the way that you do the job God has called you to? But one closing question is this. What would it look like if this week you decided to work with all your heart, not for your boss, but for the Lord? If you went and you said, well, it's not about trying to make my boss happy. It's not about, ultimately, I recognize that this is my service to God. And even for students, it's, you you know, I was a bad student until I got this. We're literally, you know, I was a you know, C student, and one day I realized, okay, this is my service of God, being a student now. I went from B's to A's, or C's to A's. That's, what would it do as a, in school? What would it do in the workplace? What would it do wherever you're at to say, okay, this week I'm going to say with all my heart, God is my boss. I'm serving for Jesus. I'm going to work in such a way that seeks to honor Him. How would that be different? How do you need to change? Can you step up to that? Because we work to Him as our, not only our boss, but as our Father, who knows us and loves us dearly. And that is it for this week's message. If you have a question about the message, community church, or who Jesus Christ is, send us a text to 330-400-3242. You can learn more about our events and community groups online at ccpl.life connect. There, you can also send in a prayer request. We would love to pray for you. Have a blessed Lord's Day, and we'll see you next week.